Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I love the book of Genesis. And over the past two weeks, we've discussed the character of Noah, specifically those themes of trust and obedience that are so prevalent in his story. Today, we see very similar themes come forward in the call of Abram. God calls Abram to leave his home and his family to travel to a new land, a land that God will show him, a land that's undisclosed, actually, uh, at the beginning of the call. In addition to this new territory, God promises to make Abraham a great name, to bless him, and to make him a blessing to the world. Abram, like Noah, trusts and obeys. He leaves home. He heads to the land of Canaan. And it's there God says, this is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants. And so our reading this morning ends with Abraham worshiping. He builds and sacrifices on an altar at Bethel, which means the house of God. And it would become an important site in Israel's cultic worship later in their history. Still, Abraham has to journey on. As the reading says, the Canaanites were still in the land. It's not time yet to possess the promised land. Now, I said it last week, and I think I said it the week before, and I think it bears repeating this week, that these old stories in the scriptures are important, yes, because they happened in history, but also because these stories are our stories. These stories are our stories. And so the call of Abram, I think, is, is really the call to live the Christian life, the Christian life that has a nomadic rhythm in which we're saved from sin and saved to bring blessing into the world. Now, it might surprise you to hear that Genesis 12 comes after Genesis 11. Genesis 12 is the call of Abram, what we read this morning. And Genesis 11, at least the beginning of Genesis 11, is the story of the Tower of Babel. The story of the Tower of Babel. The people want to make a great name for themselves, so they build this temple that they can use to worship the heavenly bodies. And as a punishment for their hubris, God comes down a phrase that's often used in the scriptures to emphasize God's judgment. And he confuses the language of the people and he scatters them over the face of the earth. Genesis 12 then picks up with this call of Abram, the man who was instrumental in God's plan to create a people who would carry out his mission in a world that had given itself over to the forces of sin and chaos. Now, the way that these stories are arranged, the story of Babel and the story of Abram being back to back, is meant to mirror the story of the flood from just a few chapters earlier. There's an overwhelming sense of human depravity in both stories, which brings a divine punishment that involves scattering. The author at the, at the story of the flood a couple times says that the floodwaters are, were scattered over the face of the earth. It's the same verb as, as when God scatters the people at Babel. But in both stories, out of the wreckage of these monumental human failures, God picks out a small remnant by which some form of salvation is brought to humanity. For Abram, this salvation meant being wrenched from his home, which was no doubt a pagan context, in order to follow God's call. Their story is our story. We've been called out. We've been saved from the chaos and destruction of sin, the doomed project of human autonomy. 
And it's interesting that more than a couple of the church fathers see a connection between this call that God gives to Abram and the same call that our Lord gives to us in the Gospels, pick up your cross and follow me. And this call is answered for each and every one of us at our baptisms. Just like the call for Abram is the beginning of a long journey, so our baptism is the start of Christian life, which for most of us is full of twists and turns. It's full of three steps forward and two steps back. It's full of circuitous routes that get us from X to Y. But why is it that Abram was called? Yes, he's called from something, but thou shalt be a blessing, God tells him. This is, of course, meant in an immediate sense as Abram and his family become a blessing wherever they go, often in spite of themselves. You can think about the way they treat Hagar and Ishmael, for example. Hagar still receives a blessing from God through Abraham, but it's, it's in spite of Abraham as well. It's also true in an extended sense when it comes to the nation of Israel, who were Abraham's descendants, because the nation of Israel acted as a blessing by being God's representative to the world. Israel was supposed to live in a peculiar and unique way and draw the nations to God as a result of that. Ultimately, however, this idea of being a blessing to the world is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the salvation of the nations. In order to become this blessing, God has to separate Abram from the world. He has to be removed from his conduit so that he can become a conduit that brings grace to the world. Their story is our story. The church is similarly a conduit to bring grace into the world because we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so in baptism, we're sealed by the Holy Ghost. We're marked as Christ's own forever. But our ongoing vocation is that of missionaries, of going into the world, of bringing that blessing out to others. But what I want to zoom in in our reading this morning is Abram's response to God. So Abram goes and he leaves his family and he goes on a journey and God takes him to the land of Canaan. He says, this is it. This is the land. And what's Abram's response? What does Abram do? He offers a sacrifice. So there's trust and obedience, just like we found in the Noah story. But then there's this kind of unique element. Abram builds an altar. He offers an animal to God in worship. And it got me thinking about this passage because Abram's not prompted to do so. God doesn't say, build me an altar there and and then make a sacrifice. At least that's not what the scriptures tell us. And it's interesting because if you study world religions at all, you've come to find out very quickly that almost all world religions involve some form of sacrifice. Some of them more gruesome than others. Some of them are a little more spiritual than others. But still, there's this impulse to sacrifice. Why do we have this impulse, why is it it's something that's just sort of a universal feature of humankind? I think it's because whatever our specific religious convictions are, it's a nearly universal phenomenon that people can sense that there's something greater than us that deserves homage, that deserves worship, that deserves respect. And so we worship because as human beings, we're, we're not homo sapiens, we're homo liturgicus, we're worshiping animals. Worship literally means rendering to someone what they're worth. That's a word that gets thrown around, worship. It means literally rendering someone what they're worth. In the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, a husband pledges to worship his wife with his body. And in the old days, judges were referred to as your worship. Not because these people are gods, 
but because a husband needs to give his wife what she's worth. And when he marries her, he's saying, you are worth all of me. And similarly, a judge needs to be shown respect because they occupy a certain office. So they're called your worship. And so Abram offers the sacrifice to God on the altar, an attempt at worship, an attempt to give God what he's due. The problem is that we can understand what it means to give a judge what he's due. You know, you stand up in the room when he walks in and then you sit down after he lets you be seated. But how do you give God, who is our creator, what he's due? And so this, this idea of sacrifice becomes something very important throughout the Old Testament. It's a common liturgical act. You know, many of us have started the year-long Bible reading plans, and it goes really well until we hit the book of Leviticus, which is a book that has all these complicated and ornate liturgical instructions detailing the variety of sacrifices, how those sacrifices are supposed to be carried out, etc. The, the issue is that Hebrews 10.4 points out a problem with this. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. The Old Testament logic of sacrifice that involved animals was only a temporary fix. That human desire that sees an animal and says, I'm going to sacrifice that to a deity, it's, only, it's a finite offering. It can't possibly render the creator what he's worth. Remember, their story is our story. And so their reliance on their sacrificial system points us forward to something much greater, which is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is very man, his sacrifice is made for us. It's made on our behalf. Because Jesus is very God, the sacrifice that he offers is of infinite value. This is the only sacrifice that's able to provide true worship of God. It's the only thing that can render God what he's worth because it's the perfect sacrifice. And so then the benefits of his sacrifice become ours when we are in Christ. Because Jesus doesn't need the rewards and the merits that he wins through offering himself. What do you get the man who has everything? And so he gives them to us who are in him. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the only way for humanity to have access to the Father. And it's the only sacrifice that can sustain us as we live this nomadic journey that is the Christian life. As we begin by leaving our home when we are baptized and we journey to the promised land. And guess what? That sacrifice that's so vital is what we partake in on Sundays and other days when we celebrate communion. The sacrifice of the cross is brought to us so that we can receive the body and blood of Christ which are given for us. And by the way, it's very interesting. You know, one of, the, one of the common themes in Old Testament sacrifices is that the animal would be killed and drained of its blood. So the blood was separated from the body. The body would then be burned on the altar. So there's this separation from blood and body, but that's what happens in the liturgy. There's wine and there's bread, and they become the body and the blood of Christ. Christ is our sacrificial lamb. And the beautiful thing about this sacrifice is that we become what we eat. We become what we eat. Christ becomes our food and drink so that we might become like Christ. It is a sacrifice that transforms us. And so the call of Abram is an invitation for us today. It's an invitation to wake up, to be wrenched from lives of sin, to be saved from the ongoing destruction that we create for ourselves. 
But it's important to remember that our salvation is, not so, is so much more than fire insurance. We aren't just saved from something. We're saved to do something. We're saved to begin a journey, a journey towards the promised land. And as we progress through the Christian life, we're called to bring the blessing that we've received out into the world. Some people, of course, do this by becoming missionaries. They give up their lives here and they go somewhere in the world where people need to hear the gospel. But guess what? We need plenty of missionaries here. For many of us, it doesn't mean going somewhere else. It means using our God-given vocations to bring the gospel to the world. Bring the gospel to your spouse. Bring the gospel to your family. Bring your gospel to your neighbors. Bring your gospel to your friends, your coworkers. The whole world is a mission field. But it's important to remember that our journey is never done alone. That our mission, this mission to bring blessing into the world is fueled by our worship. And our worship is centered around Christ and his sacrifice. So we come to the altar and we receive his body and blood that are given for us. And we always offer ourselves in response to that sacrifice. We join ourselves to that sacrifice. Offer it up, Deacon David said a couple weeks back. And that changes everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.